You're listening to the Promise Church's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Good morning, Promise Church. We love you. We miss you. Can't wait to be together again sometime soon. I'm excited to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. I know uh, He's got an amazing Word for us, and I, I just sense His heart on this message I'm going to share with you today, and I know it's going to be right in line with different things that we've been talking about, right in line with what Pastor Aaron was just uh, leading us in in our time of worship clothes and praying over our church. I know God has amazing things in store for us, and we want to be a people that are ready and, and willing to receive him for who he is and what he wants to do in our lives and our families and our church and we're excited for what God is going to continue to do in the promised church. And we want all that he has for us and all that he is. Before we jump into the word this morning, why don't you just grab your family next to you, close your eyes, put your attention on Jesus. He is why we worship. He is why we read the word. He is why we listen to the word. And so let's just put our attention on him and ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to receive today. Amen. Jesus, we love you. We give you all of our attention. We give you our worship. We give you our hearts. We love you so much. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for what you're doing. We set our eyes on you. Lord, we know what your word promises us. Lord God, that if we fix our eyes on you, you will protect us. You will defend us. You will lead us. You will satisfy us. You will give us all that we need and more because you're it, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would soften every heart, open every eye and every ear to receive today. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us in the scriptures. And Lord, have your way in our lives, in this church, in our homes, God. We give you all praise. We give you all glory. We give you all honor. And I ask for your help, Jesus, to communicate your word in your heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've been talking over the last few weeks over a variety of different uh, themes and topics. We, we began a few weeks ago doing a series called Feeding the Fire, and we talked about allowing God to fill us with a hunger, a passion, a zeal for Him, that we would pursue Him with all that we have, that the fire and passion for the Lord in our lives would grow, it would not go down, it would not get faint or weary, but it would continue to accelerate and grow. And due to literal circumstances, we, we felt maybe the need a little bit and the leading of the Lord to change topics a little bit uh, last week. And, and so Pastor Aaron did an amazing job preaching about asking for rain. And we, we cried out asking for natural rain, literal rain, and rain in the spirit realm, in a sense, the revival, a move of God to come to our city, to our region, to our, our Northwest region, and to our nation. And Literally, it rained the last couple of days. It was amazing. 
And I don't believe for one second, no, no matter what the circumstances that we are experiencing right now, being in our homes and not gathering together today, I, I don't believe for one second we need to shift course. We need to change direction. We need to stop, slow down, do anything differently than where God has already been leading us and what he has been asking us to do. We've, we've been in a, in a season for really a few months, you know, this year, 2020 even, uh, of asking the Lord to make us a place where he can stay, being a divine dwelling place where the presence of God is welcomed, where God can come and be himself, and he is welcome to express himself with us, and he can trust us with his presence. He can trust us with his power. This is our desire. This is our design as well to be people that carry the glory and power and presence of Jesus. This is why Jesus did all that he did on the cross and gave his life is so that we could be carriers of his presence, that he could dwell with his people. I felt led going into this weekend to share with you a message that I I have shared uh, a few months back, actually BC, before COVID, uh, that I shared some of these things that I'm going to share with you today. Uh, but I feel like it's very pertinent, very relevant, because if we're going to have the fire of God in our lives continue to grow, if the rain that we're praying for, the, the move of God, the revival that we're praying for, if it's going to come, then we must have our hearts cleaned and postured in a way where we can receive God when he comes and not miss it. Pastor Aaron made a statement last week that was so great and so profound that just because it's raining doesn't mean that you're going to get wet. That you could actually be in the midst of a move of God and miss it for yourself. Miss it for your family. You could, you could see it and not experience it. And none of us want that. I don't want that for myself, for my family. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for our city, our region. God is moving all over the world. And our cry, our desire here at the Promise Church, here in Woodland, here in this region of the Northwest that God has given us to say, God, you're moving in other places. Come and move here. Don't pass us by. Don't, we don't want to miss out on what you're doing. Come and move here in our lifetime for generations to come. And that we would steward that move of God well and properly. And so this is our hearts as leaders, as pastors here at this church, is to see this happen in this time that we're in. And so today I want to speak to you on the, uh, with the title of Welcome Him. Welcome Him. Being a place where He doesn't just visit, but He stays. And I've said some of these things before. I've said them in different services that we had, but often it's needed to review. Often it's needed to remind ourselves, and I believe that God is breathing afresh on these things today because he, he is saying, do you really want me to come? Do you really want me to move? Because if I, if I do come, is your heart ready? Or are things in your life there that are not from me that will stop, hinder, or slow down what I want to do in your life, in your family, and in your church? And so I, I ask, church, that you receive today with an open heart that you come before the Lord humbly and say, Lord, search me and know me. See if there be any wicked in me. Lead me in your everlasting way. God, I want to have a pure heart, clean hands and a pure heart before you. Lord, let that be your heart. Let that be your posture as we dive into the word this morning, okay? So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. I hope you're taking notes. hope you're helping your kids take notes so that they stay, stay alert and paying attention. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter Chapter 2 is the first scripture we're going to go into uh, this morning. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. 
and says this, as you come to him, the living stone, this is, I mean, there's, there's a lot here. I don't have time to get into every part of the scripture in this passage, but first thing is we gotta, we gotta come to him. <laughs> He's inviting us to come to him, church. He's inviting us as a people to come to him. Will you come to him? And as we do come to him, who he is, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, to God, you also, like living stones, this is who we are now, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is speaking of Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the living stone. This is who he is. This is who our church is built on. This is, we, we are about Jesus. We are a people who love him, who are about him, and it's all because of him. And we desire to, to build our church on him. He is the true foundation. He is the true cornerstone. He is the chief cornerstone. It's all about him. We are to be a house built on him. In, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. And in John 17, 3, Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, God, the Father, and they may know me, Jesus Christ, the one you have sent. So real life, abundant life, eternal life, is in knowing Jesus, and only in him. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. So real life comes from Jesus and comes when he is present. That is why we say all we care about is Jesus being in the room. All we care about is his presence. We are not, he is not in our presence. We are in his presence. It's a posture of mind and of heart when we worship, when we gather, when, when we come before him by ourselves in the secret place. We come to be with him. I don't know about you, but I don't view worship, I don't view prayer as a stepping stone to get somewhere else in God. I don't view the secret place and spending time alone with God as a, as a formula or a stepping stone to advance or, or receive something from God. There is nowhere else to be that is better than being alone with Jesus. There is no stepping stone. Being with him is the ultimate. Being alone with him is the best place we want to be. Do you want to be with him more than anywhere else, anyone else? Is he where you want to be? See, Jesus is everywhere. He's omnipresent. His presence is everywhere all at the same time. This is one of his attributes as being God. But yet he chooses at different times and seasons and moments in history to actually land and manifest himself in a place amongst the people who really want him, who really want to be with him more than anywhere else. And our house here at the Promised Church is built on Jesus and is going to stay that way forever. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells 
in your midst. You might not realize that, but this is what the Bible tells us. In the New Testament, we are individual temples of the Holy Spirit, but when we collectively come together as the church, as the body of Christ, we are God's dwelling place, and he comes and inhabits the praises of his people. He comes and lives in us and with us. And what happens there is really often up to us of what happens next. But we desire to be a place where God feels welcomed, where God can come and can stay. And God has been moving powerfully in our midst in these last several weeks and several months, especially after May 31st when we began to gather corporately again here in our location. God's been moving powerfully. And no matter what the enemy tries to do, no matter what attack he tries to throw our way, no matter what tactic, no matter what lie, no matter what deception, he tries to come to destroy us, to bring us down. It's not going to happen. You know why? Because we're being built on the chief cornerstone. We're being built on Jesus. So no matter what he tries to throw at us with COVID, with any other sickness, with any other attack of the enemy, we're not going to stop being who we are. We're not going to stop pursuing Jesus with all that we have. We're not going to stop worshiping the way that we're called to worship, which is passionate, which is expressive. We're not going to stop preaching the gospel. We're not going to stop telling people that they need Jesus and that he is the only one who is God and he is the only way to heaven and that he is enough. You see, Jesus is the answer. He is the solution. He is all that we could ever want, need, or, or hope for in this life. Only he will satisfy. He is all in all. He is enough. He is true love. He is true peace, joy. He is truth. And everything that in our lives must stand on him, must be built on him, and must have him at the center and revolve around him. He doesn't revolve around us. We revolve around him. He is in charge. And if we posture our hearts in this way, where this is his church, and we desire to be built on him and follow him, then when, when that happens, he can be welcomed. And then he can stay. And this is what we want. And we believe over these last several months and, and weeks that God has showed us several things in the scriptures and revealed things to us through prayer of what he is looking for in a people where he can stay. Uh, these are a few of them that I believe that the Lord has shown us. There might be more that he shows us later on, but for now, these are the main ones that he's shown us. He's looking for a people who live in first love that love him first and foremost. First love is the desire of Jesus. He is looking for a people that love him with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength, that love him first and foremost, that desire to be alone with him and to worship him and be with him. This is what he's looking for. Number two is holiness. He is looking for people who will be like him. Holiness is the nature of Jesus. He is holy. And he says, be holy as I am holy. To come to him, to be set apart for his use, for his purpose to know him. Number three is humility. Humility is the heart of Jesus. Jesus says, I am meek and humble of heart. And if you come to me, you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus invites us into his nature, into his character, into his heart to know him and to be like him. God says that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He is looking for those who will remain humble no matter the circumstance. Number four is hunger. Hunger is the passion of Jesus. The Jesus, Jesus is passionate for you. He is hungry to, to know you and to be in relationship with you and for you to know him deeply and personally and intimately. And we must be a people who always remain hungry, who always are yielded and, and saying yes to him and pursuing him passionately no matter what. And number five, the last one, is honor, which is the culture of Jesus. God's kingdom is a culture of honor. 
God's family is a family of honor. We are to honor him, revere him, respect him, and, and also honor one another in our lives, honor our families, honor our, our church family, our friends, to walk in honor as a people together. That when we do these things, God comes and he can stay. This is what he's looking for. We, that we would be a people, no matter what we go through, even though we might not understand everything, though we might not have all the answers in the moment, so we might be experiencing loss, pain, that we would be like ones that respond in hunger, that respond in humility, and invite the Lord to stay no matter what. I'm reminded of the story in Luke 24 where two disciples are on the road to a town called Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them. Jesus has just died on the cross. He's raised from the dead, but they didn't know it yet. They'd heard rumor. They'd heard report that he had raised from the dead. And they're walking on this road. They're, the Bible says their faces were downcast. They were discouraged. And Jesus comes and walks alongside them and asks them what's going on. And they begin to explain to him the, the recent events of Jesus dying and all of their hope for what they thought was supposed to happen no longer looks like it's going to happen. And they're confused. And Jesus begins to open up the scriptures to them about himself and begin to show him all that was supposed to happen with the Messiah, who is him. And he, he begins to explain these things. And then it says in Luke 24, I believe it's in... Um, Sorry, one second. Luke 24, verse 28. It says, as they approached the village they were, to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going to go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it says that when he, opened, when he began to eat with them and he broke the bread, their eyes were opened and they saw him for who he was. He vanished in a moment and they realized, oh my goodness, he was with us the whole time. We didn't realize it, but he was there. But they said this, weren't our hearts burning within us as he walked with us explaining the scriptures to us? We're not our hearts burning. And you might be going through things right now we all are in different ways where we don't understand. Where we, where's God at right now? It's not going how I thought it would be going right now. 2020, right? Come on, not going how we all thought it would go right now. But if you will respond to the burning in your heart, to no, no matter what you're going through, to not be discouraged, to go after the Lord, to pursue him, to say, Jesus, I don't want just a moment with you. I want you to stay. All of a sudden, everything could change in a moment. You never know. So I wanna, I wanna look real quick, at some different places where Jesus was not welcomed. We just talked about ways that welcome him, what he's looking for in a people that will welcome him. Let's talk about some places that didn't welcome him and what was in their hearts, what was going on there. What, in a sense, resists or stops the move of God? What stops the rain? What stops revival? You see, revival and in a, in a community expression will not happen without a corporate expression within a church body. And that corporate expression of revival will not happen without personal, individual people who experience the rain, experience revival in their own hearts and in their own lives personally, individually. And then that feeds off into the corporate gathering and then all of a sudden it goes into the community. It must start with us. So places he was not welcome. Number one is Nazareth. Nazareth. This represents familiarity. Familiarity. I want to look at Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Mark 6, 
Verse 1, this is speaking of Jesus. Then he, Jesus, went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. This is Nazareth. This is where he grew up. This is, this is where he lived most of his life in Galilee. They were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled, he, Jesus, marveled because of their unbelief. You see, familiarity, really when it comes down to it, it's pride. These people in this town, they had this mentality of, I know this guy. I knew this guy. I grew up with this guy. Didn't he make that chair for us in our home? Didn't he you know, work with his dad to make that table? Didn't he help us build our house? I know him. I know his brothers. I know his mom. I know his sisters. How could he be the Messiah? How could he be the king? How could he be the one that would come? and make everything right for Israel. How could he be the one? They didn't understand it. They couldn't grasp it. They couldn't comprehend it because this is how it often happens is that the image of what we are expecting to come in a certain way doesn't come the way that it actually comes. We, we were expecting a package a certain way and then often God brings us a package that wasn't what we were looking for. Their familiarity, their pride caused them to have a lack of honor and contempt for Jesus, which actually restrained him or limited him from being all that he was and being able to do all that was probably in his heart to do and to give them all that was available to them. Their familiarity, their pride, and also in a sense their unbelief. Familiarity has its roots also in unbelief. Jesus marveled at their unbelief. You want to know how you can marvel Jesus, how you can impress Jesus with your faith or your lack of it? Jesus was actually impressed in the wrong sense, the wrong way, at their unbelief because of their familiarity, where they began to be too casual, too flippant, too comfortable with Jesus. I know him. He can't be the guy. He can't be the Messiah. There's no way. See, a lot of people, a lot of Christians think they know God. They know a lot about God. Aaron, Pastor Aaron talked about this just a few moments ago. They know a lot about him. They can quote scripture. They know how to even open their Bible and find scriptures in it. They might even spend time in the, in the word almost every day. They might go to church every week and not know personally the God that this book points to, Jesus. Jesus even said about the Pharisees, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you will have life. These scriptures point to me and you don't know me and you have no life. This is what it's all about. 
Not allowing familiarity to seep into our hearts, not letting a, a casual approach to God seep into our hearts, not allowing things just to be complacent and comfortable and just, you know, lackadaisical in our approach and get lazy in things. We cannot become familiar in any way with the presence of God. We cannot become familiar in any way with our pursuit of him. John Bevere says this quote, you will never find God in an atmosphere where he isn't given the utmost respect. You will never find God in an atmosphere where he isn't given the utmost respect. It says that they were offended at Jesus. They took offense at him. They took offense at him. You see the spirit of offense being offended is one of the biggest tactics of the enemy to cause division within churches to stop or slow down a move of God. Offense, the spirit of offense, familiarity. People are offended at God all the time. They get offended at God all the time because he moves in a way that they weren't looking for. He comes in a way that they weren't asking for. He does things that they weren't expecting. Things aren't going the way that they thought they would. There's disappointment. How you deal with disappointment is a big deal. How you choose to trust the Lord, pursue him no matter what. How you choose to press in when there's an attack. How you choose to, to not allow the enemy to, to stop you or get you off track in any way when things begin to squeeze you. When pressure comes, you don't get offended. You don't get mad at God and turn your back and just do your own thing now. Sorry, God, I gave you a try. You didn't, didn't do the way I thought you should, so I know best. I'm going to go, go my own way now. It's not how it's supposed to go. People get offended all the time with one another. People get offended all the time with churches. You wouldn't believe the ridiculous reasons why people leave churches. Oh, they didn't do the carpet the color I wanted them to. They didn't do the right paint color on the wall. They sing too long. They worship too crazy. The music's too loud. We've probably done a lot to offend you already. If not, there's a good chance we might somewhere down the road. We're not trying to. It's part of life. It happens. It's what you do with it that matters. How you handle your offense. Do you just back out and leave and go away somewhere and all of a sudden, where's so-and-so and so-and-so? I haven't seen them in church in months. Yeah, I don't know. They, they, they just up and left and they didn't want to talk about it. If we offend you, if you get offended, if someone else offends you, go to the person that you have the offense with and deal with it. Talk it through. Don't wait 10 months. Don't wait six months. Don't wait 10 days. Talk about it. Deal with it. Work on it. Allow the Lord to touch your heart, to heal your heart. Forgive them. Who are you to hold offense against someone else who hurts you? You have no right to hold offense against anyone. We have no right. Jesus forgave us of everything. Everything, we have no right to hold unforgiveness towards anyone else. Offense is what the enemy tries to do to tear places apart. I've seen it time and time again. Don't let it happen in you. Don't let it happen here. Acts 24, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Acts 24, 15, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so... I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Paul positioned his heart to say, I will do everything possible within me to not get offended towards God and towards others. Will you have that same posture? It takes work. It takes effort. It takes dying to self, being dead to yourself. If you are dead to yourself, I guarantee you, 
you will have a difficult time holding on to an offense because the Lord will convict you and you will work on it with those around you and you'll walk through everything in love and you'll stay together long enough to see God do a move amongst you that can change a region forever. Number two, places he wasn't welcomed. Such a woohoo, positive time. Here we go. Number two is the Gadarenes. The Gadarenes, which represents fear. This, I want, we're going to look at Luke chapter 8. There's this story. Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples. He goes across the sea. He comes to this land, and he's greeted by the town outcast. He's greeted by the town problem. He's greeted by a legion of demons in a man. We don't even know this man's name, except that his name had become the demons' names, which was legion. This man comes to Jesus as he comes upon the shore. And it says he runs to Jesus and he falls at his feet. Every demon in hell can't stop a soul from coming to Jesus if they want to. This man falls at his feet. Jesus casts out the demons with a word and they go into a herd of pigs and that herd of pigs go down a hillside into the sea and they all drown. And it says this, that the the pig herds, pigs herdsmen, or whatever, the pig farmers, saw what happened. Luke 8, 34. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet. Come on. Great posture. Sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid those who had been who had seen it told the people how the demon possessed man had been cured then all the people of the region of the gatherings asked jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear so he got into the boat and left they were overcome with fear and they got into the so he and they asked jesus to leave and he got into the boat and left. They were afraid. They wanted control. They wanted life their way. Jesus came. He took care of their town problem. He took care of their black spot, their, 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 their wound, their, 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 in a sense, the, the thing that marked them as a town. They had this crazy person who was out of control, that they couldn't even chain up and he'd run around naked, and it was an embarrassment to them. And he took care of it in a moment. And they didn't want him. They said no. See, those pigs on the hill, I like bacon, praise the Lord. But for a Jewish town, those pigs on a hill were sin. They were against what God asked them to do. And by choosing to stay in their comfort zone, by choosing to ask Jesus to leave, they were essentially saying, no, Jesus, I'm going to choose my sin over you. I'm going to choose what I know, what I'm comfortable with over you. So Jesus left. He wasn't welcome. Many of us have a moment with the Lord. We encounter him. This happens all the time with people before they give their lives to Jesus, they have an encounter with him and they're freaked out. They're scared. 
whoa, 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 what does this mean? Oh, I got to change my whole life now? I can't do that. Nope. I'll, I'll just, maybe I'll put a little bit of my toes in. Maybe I'll just come in a little bit. There's no halfway Christianity with Jesus. You're either in or you're out. And a lot of times we are afraid of God actually moving in our lives the way that we know is possible because we're afraid of what he will ask us to give up or we're afraid of what he will ask us to do. But I'm telling you, if you know him and you've experienced his love, you won't be afraid to say yes. You'll give him anything and everything because you can trust him and you know him and you know you're safe with him. Well, this is what happened after Jesus got in that boat and left. It says in Luke 8:40, he went on and returned to where he came from. It says, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. All were expecting him. And he comes into that environment of being welcomed and expectation. And two of the most amazing miracles that are ever recorded and reported in Scripture happen. Where a crowd is surrounding Jesus so tightly, so intensely, as he's making his way through, that a woman who has an incurable sickness, an incurable disease, doctors have no cure for her, She's been suffering for 12 years. She just knows if I just can make it through and touch even the, the corner of his garment, just the hem of his garment, I know I will be made whole. I'll be made well. And she presses through the crowd. She breaks societal protocol. And she presses through. She touches that hem of his garment and immediately her sickness is gone. She is healed. And Jesus actually stops and says, I have felt power leave me. Nowhere else in any miracle that Jesus performed did he actually comment in such a way. Then in that miracle, could it possibly be that the posture of the crowd, the expectation of that environment caused a power display in Jesus that had yet to be seen? From there, he goes to a home where a young girl has died and he raises her from the dead. Resurrections just don't happen every day. Even with Jesus, they didn't happen all the time. What if what that crowd pulled out of Jesus was because they welcomed him? Because they were expecting him. Last place that didn't welcome him, I'm going to go through pretty quick, is Jerusalem. Jerusalem represents the religious spirit. You can read this in Luke 19, 41 through 44. I'm just going to say this one phrase. Jesus basically began to weep. He began to cry out over Jerusalem. Oh, why is this going to happen to you? This is going to happen to you because, he says this phrase in verse 44, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jerusalem missed it. 
They missed the hour. They missed the moment. Why? Because they wanted to hold on to what they knew, what they were comfortable with. They wanted to hold on to their traditions, their rituals, and their experiences more than what Jesus had to give them, more than the new covenant, the new life, the new grace that Jesus had to offer. They wanted to stay in the old. I can't tell you how many times the religious spirit causes offense, how many times the religious spirit stops or slows down a move of God. Almost every time throughout history, we can look at how the pre previous move of God is the one that persecutes the new move of God. It shouldn't be the case. It can't be. Why does it happen? Because we attach ourselves to things instead of a person. We attach ourselves to systems and procedures and programs and all these little tiny things that don't really matter at the end of the day over to Jesus. Because I tell you, if you know him, if you see him for who he is and you're in love with him, you will recognize him when he comes. Oh, it will look differently than what you thought it would. Oh, it's going to stretch you. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to make you feel awkward and weird, and you probably aren't going to like it at first. But if you know him, you will recognize it for him, and you will recognize it as him, and you will be excited. You might not understand. You may be a little concerned. You might be nervous, like, ah, man, this is seeming a little bit out of control. But this is Jesus, and I'm excited, and I want it, and I say yes to it. The religious spirit really doesn't like passionate worship. The religious spirit really doesn't like the gospel being preached purely and fully. The the religious spirit really doesn't like praying for the sick and believing for signs, wonders, and miracles. The religious spirit has a really hard time when you talk about demons because it is one. The religious spirit has a really hard time with a pastor or someone praying in the spirit, praying in tongues over a microphone. The religious spirit has a really hard time with loud music. It really has a hard time with people coming in from the world who get saved and they're still broken and they still look a lot like what they they used to before they got saved and they're still not fully polished and perfect and have everything put together in their lives and they need someone to love them and accept them and disciple them. The religious spirit has a really hard time with that because it's breaking my box. It's making me uncomfortable. It's making me have to do something I didn't want to do. You mean like live like Jesus, like fulfill the great commission. We can't have the religious spirit in our hearts or we're going to miss the hour of our visitation. Jesus will visit many places, but that doesn't mean that he will stay there afterwards. Let's talk about a place where Jesus could stay just for a moment. Almost done. Where could Jesus stay? He chose to stay in a little town just a few miles outside of Jerusalem called Bethany place where he was welcomed, where he was worshipped, where he was adored, where he was loved. He couldn't stay in Nazareth, his hometown. He couldn't stay in the religious center of the day of Jerusalem, both places you would think he could stay, but he could stay in a place called Bethany. Bethany means, means this, it means place of poverty. It's not natural poverty. It's not that they were broke and poor. It means an internal poverty, a place of hunger, a place of desperation, a place of dependency. God, I need you. I am nothing without you. Without you, I have nothing. I want you more than anything else. I'm going to pursue you with all that I have. Jesus, you're everything I need and want. This is Matthew 5, verse 3, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a posture of the heart. It's not about your bank account. 
You could have all the money in the world and still be poor in spirit. You could have no money and not have any poverty of the heart. It's about your posture for him. See, Jesus wanted to stay in Bethany because there was this woman named Mary there who loved him no matter what she went through, no matter what happened to her. Her first encounter with the Lord, her sister accuses her. Her sister misunderstands her, accuses her before Jesus. Jesus defends her. Says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled and anxious about so many things. Only one thing is needed. Only one thing is most important. And Mary has chosen that one thing, which is to sit at my feet and listen to my voice. The second time we hear about Mary, her brother has died. Lazarus died seemingly unnecessarily. If Jesus had just come a couple days earlier, he either would have already been raised from the dead or he would not have died. He would have been healed. And Martha comes to Jesus and accuses Jesus. Why weren't you here, Lord? If only you were here, my brother would not have died. And Mary comes and falls at his feet and asks the same question with a totally different posture. And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And in John chapter 12 and in Mark 14, we see this story. After Lazarus has been raised from the dead, Jesus is invited into someone's home, someone named Simon the leper. Most scholars believe that Simon was actually healed. He was leprous and Jesus healed him. And he's sitting in this his home and in the New King James Version, it says that Simon is Judas Iscariot's father. Yeah, the Judas that portrayed Jesus. He's in this home in Bethany. Lazarus is there. The disciples are there. Jesus is about to be betrayed. He's about to go to the cross and die and suffer for all of humanity. And only one person there actually is thinking, what does Jesus need right now? What does Jesus want right now? Does Jesus feel loved right now? And it says, Mary took a jar full of very expensive perfume. It was worth a year's salary, a year's wages. And she came before him and she broke the jar and she began to pour it out all over his head, his feet. She began to wet his feet with her tears. She began to dry his feet with her hair. She, in a sense, let down her guard. Her hair represented as a woman in that culture, her glory. She said, I don't care about my glory. I care about your glory, Jesus. And she began to adore him. She began to worship him. She began to pour out her love and minister to him, not caring what anyone else said or did. In fact, they began to accuse Mary. They began to misunderstand her. They began to mock her and rebuke her. They said, why this waste? Why this waste? This could have been sold and given to the poor to help the poor. Why this waste? And Jesus says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. For she has done a beautiful thing to me. You see, when you pour out your life to Jesus, when you worship him with all that you have and all that you are, it will look like a waste to the world. It will be misunderstood and look like a waste to those who carry the religious spirit. It will look like a waste to those who've become familiar and casual and comfortable and flippant with Jesus. But you can never waste yourself on Jesus. Every moment spent alone with him 
It's the best investment you can ever make with this earthly time that we've been given. It's impossible to waste yourself on Jesus. And when you waste yourself on Jesus, when you welcome him, when you love him, when you give him your life, he will defend you. He will say, she has done a beautiful thing to me. And what she has done will be told in memory of her everywhere that the gospel is preached throughout the entire world. You want to create a legacy with God where you get God's attention? You get heaven's attention? Be a Bethany. Be a place that is broken before him and pours itself out for him because he is worthy of it all. And he is all in all and he is enough. And when you pour out your heart to him, he will defend you. And you will make an impact that lasts for generation after generation after generation. And this is what we're after, church. That we would be a people that say, God, make us a Bethany. I want to close with this scripture right here. I promise I'm almost done. Luke 8, 40. I want to say it one more time. Luke 8, 40, 41. It says this. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Jesus is not inviting us into something that's for one person. That's for two people. That's for a few. It's for all of you. It's for all of us. If you will receive it. If you will accept it. It says, then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Let that be our heart's cry. Let that be our heart's posture. I don't even know if I can get on my knees with the cameras right now, but Jesus, you see our hearts, Lord. You see our hearts. God, we are desperate for you. All we want is you, Jesus. You're it, Lord. You're enough. Lord, search our hearts if there is anything in us, any familiarity, any fear, any control, any offense, any unforgiveness, any religious spirit that's tied to something that wants something more than you. God, remove it from us. Lord, all we want is you. All we want is you. We will waste ourselves. We will be misunderstood. We will be... We'll be rejected. We'll be mocked. God, we just want you. We want you. I ask for your grace upon your people, Lord, to receive you no matter how you come. That we would be a people that welcome you and that are expecting you. 
that are humble before you and asking that you would come to this house. Come to this church, Lord. Come to this city. Come to this region. Come to this northwest, this nation. God, we humble ourselves. We repent. God, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. And we ask you to come and heal our land. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Love you, Promise Church.